This is the podcast for RUF at the University of Texas. A community for students to experience God's grace and express God's grace to others. For more information, visit www.ruf.org ut. Or find us on Instagram at TexasRUF. I've never understood why people are obsessed with the British royal family, okay? I just don't get it. Uh, but I do know that I love the show The Crown. Emily and I, for many years now, have loved watching The Crown together. And if you've seen The Crown, you'll remember the episode in The Crown where Princess Diana goes to New York and visits the hospital. The year was 1989, and, and the AIDS epidemic was raging around the world, and thousands and thousands of people were dying from AIDS, and, and, and there was a lot of uh, kind of bad information going around at the time about how AIDS spread. And many people actually thought that it spread just through touching people with AIDS and that you could become contagious just by touching someone who had the disease. And so while all this sort of fear and bad information is going on, Princess Diana, perhaps the most famous and high society woman in the world, goes to visit New York. Everyone expects her to spend her time sort of up and down Fifth Avenue shopping, but instead she goes to the AIDS floor at the hospital in Harlem, one of the poorest neighborhoods in New York, and this is what she does. She not only visits the children who are sick there with AIDS, but she actually touches them. And she hugs them. Princess Diana goes low. She goes to the dirtiest people in the world, and she touches people that no one else would touch. And that's what we see Jesus doing in our passage tonight. I mean, Jesus here goes low, and he touches the parts of us that no one else will touch, our feet. So two points tonight as we look at Christ, our servant. First, letting Jesus wash our feet, and then second, washing the feet of others. So first of all, letting Jesus wash our feet. Well, if you'll go back to our passage, uh, you'll see that Jesus is about to die. In verse 1, it says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world, he's about to die. And so in verse 2, we see that the wheels are in motion. It says, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And so Jesus is eating his very last meal with his disciples. And he wants to give them an illustration or an image of what he's about to do the next night. And the image he chooses is the washing of feet. Now, to understand the gravity of what Jesus is doing here, we do need to know a little bit about the historical context and what's going on here. Uh, What did it mean to wash someone's feet in the time of Jesus? So during this time, as you might imagine, everyone traveled by foot. And everyone wore sandals. But the ground at this time was extremely dirty. I mean, they didn't have modern plumbing. And so it was not uncommon for the ground to be covered with, with urine and trash, and even feces. And, and, and all of this would get actually in your feet and through your sandals. And so the question became, I mean, how do you get rid of all this nastiness? And so the common practice at the time was when you went to a dinner, like, like the dinner that Jesus and disciples are at now, someone would wash your feet when you went through the door. And so the question then becomes, who washes the feet? And so that job always fell to the lowliest servant in the house. So whoever was lowest on the totem pole, when the guests would arrive, they would say, go, wash everyone's feet. But in our passage, we see Jesus doing something amazing. Jesus takes the place of the lowliest servant. 
I mean, look back at verse 4. Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he ties it around his waist. He's becoming the servant. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. He's becoming the servant. And to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He's the lowest servant. And he's touching trash, urine, feces, everything on these people's feet. And scholars note that what Jesus doing, is doing here is actually unprecedented. I mean, there is no historical record of any ruler, any king, or any rabbi, any significant person in Jewish society doing what Jesus does here and washing people's feet. I mean, Jesus is Diana touching people with AIDS, and here he's touching our feet. And while you would think that people would find... Uh, these acts of service uh, encouraging or even inspiring. What's interesting is that instead, uh, what Diana does and what Jesus does actually makes people angry. I mean, reports say that the royal family and the queen back in 1989 were upset by what Diana did. Uh, And the, the queen was unhappy with Diana for choosing AIDS to be her cause and urged her to do something more pleasant more sort of fitting of a member of the, the British royal family. And here in our passage, Peter is mad at Jesus. I mean, what does he say to Jesus? Jesus, you will never wash my feet. Peter is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are better than this. This is beneath you. But friends, Peter is wrong. Because what we see tonight is that nothing is beneath Jesus. Nothing and no one is beneath him. Jesus is not above anyone. And so Jesus rebukes Peter. In verse 8, look at it. He says, Peter, if you do not let me wash you, you cannot be my disciple. To put it even stronger, Peter, if you do not begin to see how dirty you really are and that I am the only one who can clean you, you are in trouble. This is your chance. If I don't clean you, no one else can and no one else will. It's like the song we sang at the beginning. No other fount I know. There's only one fount. Friends, Christ is our servant. He, nothing is beneath him. He goes low. He gets dirty. And what he does to the disciples' feet here in our passage, he does the next night on the cross. Thursday night, he cleans, cleans our feet. Friday night, he cleans our hearts and our souls and our bodies. He makes us clean and he washes us. So, what does this mean for us right now? What does it mean for us right now? First, we must let Jesus serve us. We must let Jesus wash our feet. I mean, because like Peter, some of us won't let Jesus wash us. Uh, We either think we don't need to be washed or we think that we can wash ourselves. We, you know, we feel pretty good about our life. We feel pretty good about our job performance before God. We think like, you know, all in all, I've been a pretty good person. Like I've tried my best. And so we say with Peter, I don't need to be washed. Not by you. Jesus, you will never wash my feet. But being a Christian is actually learning to see that our lives and our hearts are actually like way dirtier than our feet. I mean, elsewhere in the scripture, the Bible calls even our best actions filthy rags think about the best thing you've ever done with the best intentions you ever had the bible says compared to jesus it's filthy 
And so we must let God clean us because we cannot clean ourselves. If Jesus doesn't clean us, no one else can and no one else will. Second thing, tonight, friends, I want to invite you to let Jesus in to the lowest parts of your life. Jesus longs to stoop down into the lowest parts of your life. I mean, the areas of your life that are the most dirty. I mean, the addictions and the habits that you can't shake. Your regrets and and your fears and your doubts that you can't even speak to anyone. Let Jesus go low for you and let his blood wash you. And if you think tonight that you're too much for Jesus or, or that he won't clean you or that he can't, I want you to notice one more thing before we move on to point two. And that is that here in our passage, Jesus washes Judas's feet. Jesus washes Judas's feet. I mean, this man that's about to betray him. I mean, in the story, Judas is literally Satan incarnate. It says Satan has taken over his body. He's about to betray Jesus any minute now. And yet Jesus stoops down and washes Judas's feet. And so if Jesus will wash Judas's feet, he will wash anyone's feet. And if he can try to make Judas clean, he can make anything in your life clean. Just let him. Notice here how Peter finally gives in to Jesus. And he goes from saying, Lord, you will never wash my feet, to saying this, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. I want you to pour the water everywhere. So that's point one, letting Jesus wash our feet. Point two, though, is washing other people's feet. So, okay, looking back at the passage, we see that Jesus doesn't just wash our feet. He actually invites us into this life of washing other people's feet. He's saying to us, those who have been served, serve others, and those who have been washed ought to wash others. And we see this in verse 14 and 15. Look at it. Jesus says, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For if I've, I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. And friends, something really earth shattering is actually happening here. Because Jesus is redefining glory. Jesus here is redefining what it means to live a beautiful and glorious life. I mean, all over the Gospels, Jesus says over and over again that in God's kingdom, everything is reversed. And that glory and beauty is not becoming the greatest, but the least. That the glorious life is not by being first, but last. It's not winning, but losing. It's not being famous, but being anonymous. It's not being seen, but being hidden. It's not building your resume, but loving your neighbor. I mean, washing feet. I mean, nothing could be less impressive and less flashy than this. And yet Jesus is saying, washing feet, that is what it means to follow me. That is the Christian life. A few years ago in the New York Times, there was this essay called, You Will Never Be Famous, and That Is Okay. It was by this author named Emily Miller, and here's what she says. In the article, she actually talks about college students and about the college campus, and here's what she says. She says, today's college students, this is you and this was me a few years ago, today's college students desperately want to change the world. But too many think that living a meaningful life requires doing something extraordinary and attention-grabbing, 
like becoming an Instagram celebrity or starting a wildly successful company or ending a humanitarian crisis. And having idealistic aspirations is, of course, part of being young. But thanks to social media, purpose and meaning have become conflated with glamour. Extraordinary lives look like the norm on the internet. And yet the most meaningful lives I've learned are often not the extraordinary ones, but they're the ordinary ones lived with dignity. I don't know if Emily Miller's a Christian, but she really sounds like one. Because she's grasped the kingdom of God. That in Jesus' eyes, what is glorious and beautiful isn't always famous or popular. But it's ordinary acts of love and of service. Okay, so what does it look like for us to become servants like Jesus? Well, first, I believe that, that becoming servants like Jesus means serving the person that is right in front of you. It's serving the person that's right in front of you. I mean, notice here, Jesus simply loves the men who are right in front of his face. These men who he would fish with and eat meals with, those are the feet that he washes. And many of us think, though, that the only way to really serve others is by, like, going overseas and sharing the gospel or doing these great big things for God. And there's nothing wrong with going overseas. There's nothing wrong with doing big things for God, and yet... We cannot fail to neglect the people who are right in front of our face. And so think about who's in your life. Roommates, classmates, fraternity brothers, sorority sisters, parents, siblings. These are the people who are right in front of your face. I mean, these are the feet that God has called you to wash. Second, to become servants, we must serve in ways that will stretch us. We must serve in ways that will stretch us. Because it's easy for us to, uh, to serve people who we like, right? Um, it's easy to serve people who you like. But, I mean, what about the people who get under your skin? I mean, what about the person in your life who is needy, who talks too much, who is unself-aware, who is always taking from you and never giving, who is always, uh, you have to ask them questions, they never ask you anything about your life, Uh, the person who you don't have anything in common with, uh, the person who's across the Greek aisle from you, the person who isn't Greek, the person who is Greek. I mean, friends, remember, Jesus washes Judas' feet. It makes me think of Toby in the office. Uh, if you've watched The Office, you'll remember that, that Michael Scott loved... We've got, we've got some Office fans here. You'll remember that Michael Scott loves Dunder Mifflin, and he loves his employees, and he loves, in fact, to describe The Office as a family. He's always talking about it as a family. But then Toby comes around. And Michael hates Toby. And, My, and Toby constantly gets under Michael's skin and drives Michael to say the most ridiculous things. Here's just a small sample of the things Michael says about Toby. Toby, he's the worst. Toby tortures me with his awfulness. I tried. I tried to talk to Toby and be his friend, but that is like trying to be friends with an evil snail. And I feel like I'm dying inside. That's so good. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said this. Forgive, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until you actually have someone to forgive. And service is the same way. I mean, everyone loves talking about service. Service is a great idea until there's actually someone in front of your face who you can serve. 
especially if it's someone you don't like. And, and, and sometimes it's not necessarily the person who makes it hard for us to serve, but it's the fact that, that it takes from our time. Because think about your lives. I mean, y'all, you're, you're so busy. I mean, you have, you have things to do. You have papers to write. I mean, you have tests to take. You have games to go to. You have deadlines to make. And then someone comes out of the blue and needs something from you. And in that moment, we have a choice. I mean, we, we have a choice between self-sacrifice and self-preservation. We have a choice between, between holding on to our life or losing it. We have a choice uh, uh, between holding on to our life or losing it. Because, friends, though, we live now in this culture of self-preservation. We talk a lot about preserving ourselves. We talk about self-care. We talk about boundaries. We talk about taking time for ourselves. We talk about avoiding difficult people and avoiding people who drain us. And, and, and some of this is good. I mean, seriously, uh, my staff and y'all will know, like, right, we're big on rest, right? We're big on rest, boundaries, self-care, all of that. They do matter. And yet, tonight in John 13, Jesus doesn't give us an example of how to take care of ourselves. I mean, he gives us an example of how to sacrifice ourselves, of how to pour ourselves out, how to let go of our life, how to lose. And so ask yourself tonight, am I willing to lose? Am I willing for my life to be interrupted? Am I willing for my plans to change for the sake of another person? I mean, service is hard. There's nothing flashy about being a servant. But here's the thing. When you do choose in those moments to serve people in very ordinary, mundane ways, you're actually being Jesus for that person. When you take notes for a roommate in class, you're being Jesus. When you choose to listen to someone and not just try to fix them, you're being Jesus. When you forgive someone who's wronged you, you're being Jesus. When you invite someone to lunch or breakfast that is awkward, you're being Jesus. When you call your mom on Sundays to say, I love you, mom, you're being Jesus. When you call your annoying little brother or sister who like totally sucks and is still in middle school, you are being Jesus. There's an author named Anne Lamont, and she loves to tell a story about when she had first given birth to her baby son, and, 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 and during this really hard time of her life, when she's sort of in the fog of new motherhood, she was actually experiencing doubts about Christianity, experiencing doubts about whether Jesus really mattered. And then one night, a man from her church came over to her house and offered to scrub her toilet. Here's how she describes it. She says, last night I decided it was crazy to believe in Jesus. But then something truly amazing happened. A man from church showed up at our front door and said, my wife and I want to do something for you and your newborn son. And so then he asked me, if a fairy appeared on your doorstep and said that he or she would do any favor for you at all, anything you wanted around the house, anything you felt too exhausted to do by yourself and were too ashamed to ask anyone to help you with, what would you ask them? And she responded, I can't even say, because it's too horrible. But he finally convinced me to tell him, and I said it would be to clean the bathroom. And so he ended up spending an hour on his knees, scrubbing the bathtub and the toilet and the sink with disinfectants and lots of hot water. While I sat on the couch while he worked, watching TV, feeling vaguely guilty, and nursing my son to sleep. But that night made me feel sure of Jesus again and of Jesus' kind of love. 
this. A man scrubbing a new mother's bathtub is what Jesus means to me. It's a small, ordinary act of love. It's not flashy, but it's Jesus. Okay, so what is the secret to all of this? I mean, most of us do not just wake up in the morning thinking, how can I serve people today? And if you do, I would love for you to come and work for RUF, because that's amazing, okay? But most of us don't wake up in the morning thinking, like, how do I be a servant today? So what's the fuel? What's the secret recipe to actually becoming these sorts of people and living this sort of life? What's the fuel? Well, we see it in our passage. Jesus shows us, back in the very beginning of the passage in verse 3, where it says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, And was going back to God. I mean, do you hear it? The secret is security in the Father. Jesus knows that his Father has given him all things, that he has come from God, that he is going back to God, and he has everything that he needs in God. He's completely secure, and he's completely content. And because he's secure, and because he is content, he can love other people. Now, you might say, well, Jesus is God, so that's easy for him. Of course he's secure, but what about for me? Well, for us, there are three words in our passage that provide the secret and the fuel for us serving others. Look at verse 10. We see them in verse 10. Three words. You are clean. That's the secret to a serving life. You are clean. Friends, you are safe in God's love. You are safe with God. God has given you everything that you need. One day you will die and go back to God. And so you can be safe in your father's arms. And you don't need people anymore. I mean, you don't need people's affirmation. You don't need people's approval because you have everything you need from God. And so now, because you don't need people anymore, you can actually love them. As long as we need people, we can't love them. But if you don't need people anymore and you don't use people to meet your needs, now you can actually get to work in meeting their needs. Security, contentment, that's the secret. Okay, well, let's close. So uh, tonight we started by talking about Princess Diana and her visit to this hospital in Harlem where, where she hugged and touched these children that no one else would touch. And tonight we have seen that Jesus does the same. I mean, Jesus goes low. There's nothing and no one that is beneath Jesus, not even Judas. And, and we've seen that Jesus, too, like for the disciples, goes down to the lowest parts of our life, uh, the parts that are unspeakable that we won't talk to anyone about. Um, and he wants to be in those places. He doesn't shame us for those places, but he just comes and wants to just touch them and make them clean. And then he invites us to do the same. Uh, those who are washed, wash. And, and those who are clean, clean, help clean others. And those who are served, serve others. Those who are secure and don't need others can finally actually give and sacrifice for others. But returning to Diana for a second, I want you to see that there is one major difference between what Diana does and what Jesus does. There's one major difference, and this is what it is. The whole world saw Diana, and no one saw Jesus. The whole world saw Diana, and no one saw Jesus. Diana's act of love and service was broadcast on every telecast in every corner of the world. No one saw Jesus here except for 12 poor fishermen disciples in the upper room. One act is public. The other is not. One act is Instagrammable. The other is not. 
And what this means, friends, uh, is that if we want to follow Christ our servant, we must be prepared to live small, secret, hidden lives of love. When I think about this, I actually think about my wife. Uh, Since Emily has had two children, um, uh, she has had to quit her job as a therapist. She was working full-time and part-time, and now she's uh, a a full-time mom. And one of the things she's said increasingly over the years uh, is that it feels like her life is just getting smaller and smaller, right? Because it was like she's out in the world, she's working over behind Whole Foods, uh, she's working full-time, and then she's cutting back, and she's working part-time. And her life is just sort of shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And so all she is doing is just changing diapers and making meals and cleaning up the floor. But I, I look at her often, I tell her, while it feels like your life is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking, it's actually getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Friends, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be prepared for no one to see you. You must be prepared to do things that will never go on your resume. No one will ever pat you on the back for them. No one will ever applaud you. No one will ever thank you. But in those small moments of ordinary love and sacrifice, you actually get to be with Jesus. You are on the floor, shoulder to shoulder next to him, scrubbing and washing and cleaning people's feet. You get to be with Jesus. And hopefully that's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that nothing is beneath you, and that's why you came low to us. Uh, You became a man. You went to the cross. You went down into the ground. Father, thank you that you've touched the dirtiest places in our life, and I pray for my friends here that they would know that they're clean in you, and that that security and contentment would make RUF a more serving place. We pray these things by the power of your Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.